Welcome to the fourth and final week of our Advent series, It's a Wonderful Life Christmas. As we prepare to read God's word this morning, let us pray, seeking God's illuminating grace. O oh God, your word is more precious than fine gold and sweeter than purest honey. As we turn to read your scripture, send your Holy Spirit to infuse your word with truth and grace so that the good news of your love would shine before our eyes and delight our senses, and so that we cannot help but respond with wonder, hope, and faith as we trust in your work in us and in this world. Amen. Our scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke in the second chapter, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the end. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks. Be to God. For the four weeks of Advent, we have been watching clips and talking about the movie It's a Wonderful Life. It's a movie that is described as a Christmas classic or a feel good film. But the story of life in Bedford Falls is far from perfect. The movie follows the fortunes, or maybe more accurately, the misfortunes of George Bailey. George is the unsung and reluctant hero of Bedford Falls. But he wants to get out of Bedford Falls in the, in the worst way. And it seems that every opportunity to see the world, to go to college, and in his mind do something big and leave behind the dull existence of that small town is thwarted. As a child, George is selfless. He risks his own life and loses his hearing in one of his ears to save his young brother, Harry, who falls through a hole in the ice. As an adult, he gave up his dream of traveling the world and going to college to stay at home and to manage the Bailey brothers' building and loan after his father's death. Despite knowing that he has been forced into a, a job that he never wanted, George is incredibly hardworking and generous-hearted. One day, George is offered a job by Mr. Potter, the richest man in Bedford Falls. Mr. Potter promises George an impressive wage, the best house in town and holidays in Europe. But knowing that Mr. Potter is seeking to close the 
Bailey Brothers building and loan and, uh, and out of respect for his father's legacy, George rejects the offer. Noble as his decision seems to be, George becomes increasingly embittered. He marries, yes, he has children, but he watches his friends achieve great things. Meanwhile, George sees only wasted opportunities and he regrets everything around him, feeling that life has passed him by. His resentment turns to desperation when George's absent-minded Uncle Billy misplaces $8,000, leaving George as the manager of the building and loan in a seemingly hopeless situation. Mr. Potter now has a major advantage, and George feels doomed to failure with bankruptcy and a prison sentence all but certain. George is left bewildered, lost, and alone. I think what makes the movie so appealing is that we can relate to the character of, of George Bailey his bumps and his bruises and his frustrations. From time to time in, in our lives, they have also been ours. Nearing the climax of It's a Wonderful Life, George looks back on his life and he sees little more than wasted potential. His huge boyhood dreams to become a, an adventurer and see the world have amounted to nothing. His vision to escape the, the mold of his family's insignificant small town traditions and become something significant never materialize. On Christmas Eve, after mentally scanning his life, he believes that he is better off dead than alive. And he contemplates suicide on a bridge. George slumps his his head into his hands and he prays to God dear father in heaven I'm not a praying man but if you're up there show me the way please show me the way George doesn't realize it but his prayer is answered George is rescued by the intervention of a lovable but, yes, a bumbling guardian angel named Clarence Oddbody. Clarence comes in to answer George's prayer and to show George that life is not only worth living, but it is a treasure. George, who believes that the world would be a better place without him, wishes that he had never been born. And Clarence grants him that wish, even as he assures George, you don't know all you've done. Clarence tells George, you've been given a great gift, a chance to see what life would be like without you. And Clarence shows George how very different the lives of his family and friends would be if he had never been born. Clarence instructs George, one man's life touches so many others. When he's not there, it leaves an awfully big void. Through a series of twists and turns, 
George comes to realize that although he has never fulfilled his boyhood dreams, his life is far more significant than he ever imagined. In a world where George never lived, his wife Mary is a spinster. His younger brother Harry is dead, drowned at the age of nine years old because big brother George wasn't there to save him. Uncle Billy is in an insane asylum because George wasn't there to keep the business open. Mr. Potter has owned, now owns the entire town and, and transformed Bedford Falls into Pottersville, a, a dark and a seedy place. All these people and many more with whom George shared his life are in a far, far worse state without him. In an epiphany, George decides that he wants to live again. As he realizes that he has a wonderful life. Not a perfect life, but a wonderful life nevertheless. I wonder if someone were to ask you, if you have a wonderful life, how would you respond? Of course, we need to first define the meaning of a wonderful life. Is a wonderful life filled with material gain and financial prosperity and a successful and ever-thriving career? Is it packed with adventure, enriched only by frequent and luxurious trips to distant lands? The truth is, a, a wonderful life is not found in pleasure or performance or possessions or position or pursuits. A wonderful life is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Jesus says time and time again that he is the giver of life. He's the author of life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He proclaims, I am the way and the truth and the life. But maybe the most powerful statement he ever made regarding life was, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The I is emphatic. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Means that life is found in no one other than him. Abundant life is entered in through only one, only through Jesus. The life that can be all of ours in Jesus Christ is wonderful. Jesus not only shows us what what God is like, Jesus shows us the depth of God's love. Jesus' life, his words, his actions, including his death and resurrection, show you and you and that your life has great value and an infinite worth. You, you have a, been given a great gift, your life. But Jesus does not just show us the value of life. He doesn't just show us that we are loved. He enables us by his grace 
to live in ways to reach our full and abundant potential, to be who we were created to be when we were made in the image of God. In Jesus, you see, we are being saved from hopelessness and despair. And through Jesus, who is Emmanuel, God with us, you can not only be a recipient of God's love, you also can be a means by which Jesus' love moves out into the world. When we live in Jesus, we become part of the body of Christ, Jesus' body, loving and, and moving in mercy and in justice in this world. Just like the God of the universe came incarnate in Jesus Christ, you are the incarnate ones also. You can show others what God is like, not only by how you value the gift of the life that you have been given, but also how you value the same gift that others have received also. The movie, It's a Wonderful Life, has earned its legion of followers because it is so effective at touching upon the truth that life well lived is a treasure. And each of us, no matter how seemingly insignificant, has the opportunity to make a, a huge, huge difference in the lives of others because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. It's a Wonderful Life shows us the measure of our humanity and that nothing, that, that, that we have nothing that has nothing to do with power or position or possessions. But it has all to do with how we live our daily lives. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the hope and it's the message of Advent and of Christmas. For God so loved the world, as John tells us, that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but it may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Throughout his life, George lived by a creed that, was, that always placed human need above riches. And as a result, his real wealth was found in his family and friends, and it was discovered in faith on a bridge through a prayer. God, I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. Jesus reminds us of the infinite value of investing ourselves in kingdom living instead of the world of, of money and possessions. The good news for us all is Christmas should be the time when our eyes are, are open to the value of each of us in the sight of God. At Christmas, God sent his son to be born in a lowly manger, and in Jesus' own words, the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. God so values you 
and so loves the world, that God came in, into this world in the person of, of Jesus to demonstrate God's amazing love. Earlier in today's service, we sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The entire carol is, is packed with an opportunity for us to see and, and be amazed by God's love and the work of Jesus. Verse 3 proclaims, mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. These words by Charles Wesley affirm that it pleased Jesus to come and to rescue us. And when we sing songs such as this, it reminds us of, of Jesus' great love for each of us and Jesus' great power to save. But at Christmas, if we're paying attention, we also learn the purpose for which we were created and for which we were saved to enjoy God and to enjoy this wonderful life that God has given us and to bear God's love into the world all around us so that the world too may know the depth of God's love. It's a love that frees us from our past and our failures to begin again in the strength of Emmanuel, God with us. Whatever your past, Jesus promises that you can have life abundantly and a fulfilled future. It was when George prayed that things changed. His prayer came from his desperation. And it was answered in an unexpected way. We, like George, can find life in the gift of Jesus, who is good news of great joy for all the people. Through Jesus Christ, you have an opportunity to see the heart of God and the heart of what is important in this life and to live life to its fullness in the love and in the compassion and in the hope of Jesus. Sisters and brothers, it is a wonderful life. And God calls you to treasure it. Not because your lives will be perfect or without pain, but because God sent you a Savior who has overcome the world, who is God with us, and who offers you life abundant. It's a wonderful life. Treasure it. Amen.